Hey everyone, it's another in-between show, just a little bit of extra content that uh, we recorded for you. This is a conversation with my friend Robert Mayo. You've heard him on the show before, um, talking about Spectre and Fast and Furious and Star Wars. And this was recorded on his birthday, so if you hear us talking about the fact that it's his birthday, it's because it was his birthday. Uh, We recorded this on July 24th, and on July 24th we were able to attend a... uh, Fathom Events screening of the Planet of the Apes, the 1968 original Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes, and this is both before and after, so stick around after the before portion, or you'll miss half of it. Um, Not a lot of frills on this episode, just a solid conversation about a classic movie. I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to a kind of impromptu uh, in-between show with uh, Robert Mayo. Hey everyone. Uh, It's your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, decided for your birthday we're going to go see Planet of the Apes. The original one, not the 2001 Mm -hmm. version? (laughs) Yeah, the 1968 Charlton Heston old school makeup Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Because they're showing it at Edward Cinemas or Regal Cinemas this this week. They're showing it Sunday, today, day of this recording, and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And it's part of the series that they've been doing um, in conjunction with Turner Classic Movies. So actually, when we go see it, we're about an hour away from the screening. When we go see it, it's going to be introduced by one of their film historians. And oh. so they'll, yeah, they're going to provide some of their background on it. I actually had the opportunity to see The Ten Commandments around Easter time, another Charlton Heston movie, <laughs> um, and got that background for it. And it is, it's a really, like, awesome way to go see a movie because they do the intro first which is why it's an intro and you have all this context for it that you can think about while you're watching the movie and it's it's i really like these these fathom events that they do with them i did not know that going in so i am now twice as interested in seeing this movie now yeah so you've actually seen this movie before yeah i was like a young teenager and i was at my grandma's house with nothing else to do so i watched like all five Mm -hmm. of the original ones over a weekend but i it was so long ago i don't remember much i obviously was probably too young for the context of the movie yeah all the deeper themes uh but yeah i have seen it a long time ago yeah i've actually never seen this one i've seen um my experience with planet of the apes is the tim burton one which i saw in theaters as a child probably i saw it in theaters so in 2001 Uh, my brother took me to go see that and then <clears throat> I've seen the Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but I haven't seen actually the originals. Yeah. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes are the two of the best movies that have come out this decade, I feel like. I agree. <laughs> um, they're so good. And so to have that already, to have those movies be so good built on a franchise that is already beloved, I mean, they I don't think they would have made these movies if there weren't a fan base already for them. I'm actually really excited to see the beginnings of that because they've got to be at least similar in quality um especially this first one the first one is for sure i remember the other four progressively getting goofier and zanier oh that makes as sense. they went on because um, like in one of them they go to space um <laughs> yeah from from earth in 1970 something because uh, it's set in a futuristic time period even though it looks like caveman yeah era yeah, it's like post-apocalyptic. Like that's the right. big twist, right? Is right. like it is. It's been Earth the whole time, and this like crazy war killed it, and then the apes are in the process of like re-evolving, right. basically. Yeah. 
Um, I actually came in prepared uh, for this podcast to talk about uh, how this is a 70s movie and I love 70s cinema and it's the best decade and then I looked it up and uh, it came out in 1968. And I did not realize that. It's kind of uh, one of those ones, I think 2001 A Space Odyssey also came out the same year or the year after. They, they were kind of the two lead-ins yeah. to what would eventually be like 70s sci-fi. I would say it feels very much like a 70s or early 70s movie. Mm. Um, I don't even know if it feels so much sci-fi as much as just a more of a classic, uh, how do you say it? <laughs> not adventure movie, but... Uh, it's actually more of a social commentary movie. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. They probably talk a lot about like race and <clears throat> also at the time, you know, evolution versus creationism was being uh, debated as far as being taught in the classroom and um, stuff like that. It's actually based off of a French book, which I just learned right before we started recording. I had no idea this was based off a book. And it actually, they filmed in um, Malibu, California, which is not too far from us. And after they were done filming, they just bulldozed all the sets and left them there. So you can just go get huge pieces of the set of Planet of the Apes and take it off. Like, they don't even care. It's in some national forest huh. or state forest. And they just let them leave it there. I and then how like, much is left. There's, uh, I listened to a podcast within the last year or so... Um, where a comedian named Dana Gould, who this is his like this is his franchise, he actually went into it and pulled out a lot of stuff. He said there's still quite a bit left, and just every so often, like Planet of the Apes nerds go and take pieces of the set back, and that's how they're clearing it out. I wonder if they've used any of it for the new Planet of the Apes movies, just to you know, without really telling anyone, but just say, hey, this is cool, we did this. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, that would be cool. Um, but I like because they, they filmed all of the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, so they got their use out of that set. It's not that they used it once and then bulldozed it. They used it for all the ones that have the ape city in it. Yeah, um, yeah so this is, uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm pretty excited. I think it's also a fitting weekend to watch this movie because I, I don't remember a lot about the movie. I remember it's very talky. Mm-hmm. So it's probably got a lot to say about society. <laughs> yeah. And this weekend, the new Star Trek ca- came out. Mm-hmm. And it, that series is also known for being addressing society and and how humans interact with each other and more of an idealistic society. Yeah, that's true. And this is almost inverse. It's almost right. cynical right. Um, about it. Yeah, it seems almost on purpose. That they had it this weekend. Yeah, I'm just... I'm really excited. It's, it's a movie I've never seen, obviously. But it's also a movie I've always wanted to see. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for it. So I'm expecting it to be, like, really good. Like, I, my expectations are pretty high for this movie, actually. I'm gonna... Yeah. I'm, like, almost to the point where I feel like I should maybe tone it back a little bit. But also, I feel like the movie's endured for such a long time for a reason. You know, we wouldn't have people going to see it at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, almost 50 years after it's released, unless it was worth talking about still. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. We'll, uh, I don't know if you've thought about it this way since you, uh, mentioned it came out in 68, but that's 48 years ago. It's almost 50 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and so I, I mean, I, I've, I'm a sucker for older movies usually anyway, especially like the classic ones. Obviously I'm not going to go seek out the ones that like, everyone was like, well, this sucks. (laughs) Why would you even talk about this anymore? But, um, 
yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and we'll be back. Uh, this is a shorter type of thing, but we'll be back to talk about uh, the after, obviously. And um, yeah, I think. Do you have anything else to say, Robert? Expectation wise, not really. I'm I'm definitely not expecting it to be you know action packed mm-hmm. or necessarily a fun movie to watch, but it'll be very interesting. Uh, I I think it's pegged more as a drama than anything else, sci-fi drama. Yeah, I mean, and Charlton Heston is just, he's the man. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Okay, uh, I think that'll do it. We gotta get over to the theater. <laughs> and um, we'll be back to talk about everything after Planet of the Apes. See ya. And we are back. Uh, literally just got out of the screening of Planet of the Apes 1968 for uh, Robert Mayo's birthday. And I'm joined by Robert Mayo once again. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, what did you think? Man, that movie has a lot of talking. Yes, it does. It's an hour and 52 minutes of talking. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's also a lot more sci-fi and adventurous than I gave it credit for in the before segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but and it has some action scenes, but it's not action scenes you would associate as action scenes of today. Yeah, a lot of chase scenes and like falling down hills or near misses, I guess things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean because it's so much talking, you know. There's there's a sort of central battle at the heart of it, but it's um, it's this war of ideologies. Um, between science and faith and, I mean, several things, politics. really. Yeah, <laughs> politics, uh, class, race, um, the basically... Le- the legal system. Yeah, so just pick a theme Slavery, and it's probably in this movie. Animal endangerment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's There's a lot going on. Um, I, I think some of the major themes uh, really are race. I mean, this it's really hard to deny that this took place during the civil rights movement. Um, and the way that the apes treat humans is very reminiscent of not just slaves, but how the Jim Crow laws treated uh, black people in the 50s and 60s. Um, and, you know, uh, at the risk of getting a little bit of uh, insensitivity mail, like, I feel like it's not any uh, coincidence that they had apes treating humans that way, given that a derogatory term for black people is monkey. Um, so that was actually on my head a lot. I don't know if you... if you... Yeah, I mean, the movie's very blunt, I guess, in your face with its themes. It's not subtle. It's not no. trying to be subtle. No. No, it's almost kind of like an angry movie. Yeah. Like, really... Even Charlton Heston's character, uh, he's very negative, and it's mentioned in the movie that he's negative, but you almost, you know, you almost don't like him. As a protagonist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's real cynical. The movie's real cynical. It's real uh, real nihilistic. Um, of just like, this is, you know, this eventual... The way it ends with the, 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 the Statue of Liberty, you know, in tatters on the beach is, you know, that's the last scene of the movie and it feels like this warning sign almost. Like it's, like the movie's trying to say like, we need to slow down with all this hate or 
this is what we're going to eventually do to ourselves. Well, that and along with the last line of him saying, you fools, you you blew yourselves up, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, also, Cold War is happening at this point. Vietnam is still happening at yeah. this point. So, I mean, there's... Uh, I mean, I feel like this movie crystallizes every major societal shift that happened in the 60s. Um, I feel like all of that is encapsulated in this movie and thoroughly encapsulated (laughs) in the movie which is crazy because you know usually i think when a movie tries to go for that many to say that much stuff about this many things it can kind of collapse under its own weight um and uh, you know i think earlier we kind of earlier this year even we saw zootopia which was that for kids it's not nearly as angry or cynical as as a planet of the apes but it talked about a lot of things it talked about classism and racism and sexism and you know a lot of the stuff you hear talked about in society now in 2016 and i think that movie kind of was real heavy-handed and leaned like collapsed under the weight of talking about those themes maybe because it is a kid's movie but like planet of the apes i feel like was very heavy-handed but for some reason it was okay yeah um I think it worked because it completely flip-flopped the society of apes and humans. Hmm. They were able to display a lot of... Like, by putting a human below an animal in our eyes as an audience really gets us to... It encapsulates, like, the perspective of, you know, classisms and racism Hmm. and all that as a whole to everyone no matter what race you are, what class you're in, (laughs) as a human. Yeah, yeah. I think the ultimate point of the movie is, you know, when you see someone treated like that, like, it just sucks. All Like, no matter who it is. You know, and it's not... You know, the the protagonist is obviously Charlton Heston, who's a very white man. (laughs) Um, You know, but, but... it, it, I think it just it drives that point home, especially at the end of the movie when Dr. Zayas has that flipped and, you know, Charlton Heston's character is now treating Dr. Zayas the way he was treated. Mm-hmm. And the other apes are like, why are you doing this? That's so cruel. And he's like, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> it really sucks to see someone that looks like you treated that way. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I don't know why there are sequels. Me either, because <laughs> I don't remember them. Um, I, I think they just kind of tap into more of the ape culture, and uh, I think it, they flip flop roles a lot too, uh, perspectives a lot. Because in in one of the movies, I think it's Zira and uh, Cornelius. Cornelius, they end up basically in human times of the seventies mm-hmm. in San Francisco, and then everyone idolizes them as gods basically or Hmm. high celebrities um but then there's a certain sect of people who want to come and hurt them or capture them so it's just role reversal yeah situations that i don't know what kind of point they were trying to say outside of this movie this first movie yeah definitely um what did you think like how did it differ from what you thought of going in i know you'd seen it once before but you had mentioned that you had forgotten a lot about it uh there's a lot more to it than i remember i thought i don't remember the whole adventure along the beach and getting to the the dig site cave i don't remember any of that Mm. i I remember everything in ape town or whatever it's called ape city ape city close enough (laughs) um 
and all the experimentation that they were trying to, and the, you know, him being captive, and I don't really remember the the court scene where he's being mm. tried, mm-hmm. but uh, I thought it all took place in Ape City. Yeah, um, one of the big differences for me is Dr. Zaius is the villain of this movie. Um, you, if you're listening you haven't seen the movie, it's about a rocket that crash lands on uh, a mysterious planet that's revealed to be Earth on the uh, uh, at the end of the movie, and it's inhabited by apes, these super smart apes who are, um, they're not quite uh, technologically advanced, they're kind of in the Stone Age, it looks like. But they're civilized. Yes. Yeah, and they, they speak and write. science and medicine, or a version of science and medicine. Yeah, including neuroscience or um, mental health, even, you know, there's, a, there's an animal psychologist that, that they work with. And so there's this one guy who's at the head of it. He's the minister of science and their little ape government. Uh, his name is Dr. Zayas. And he is also the head of um, the religious society in in the film um, who worship uh, uh, an ancient gorilla called the Lawgiver. I think later it's revealed that that's uh, Caesar. Um, if I had to venture a guess, I would say that that's probably Caesar, who you know from the later... Uh, uh, I'm not so movies. sure. Okay. I believe Caesar is the son of Zira and Cornelius. Oh, okay. Um, In this timeline of the apes. <laughs> right, right. And so he, but he, he leads up this religion. So he's sort of this embodiment of science and religion and whether or not they can get along and the cover-ups that faith will go to deny science and... Uh, um, how they will kind of justify it. The movie's really angry about uh, religion for some reason. It's a Rod Serling... Well, it was angry about how rigid, probably more not... Yeah, religion yeah, can be. Not necessarily faith, but religion. Yeah, yeah. Just It, it, it has a chip on its shoulder about legalism, which is, you know, understandable. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it's was originally written by Rod Serling and was... Um, Rewritten by Michael Wilson, uh, who I don't think is the James Bond guy. No idea. I don't even think about that. <laughs> um, I think that guy goes by Michael G. Wilson. And, you know, Rod Serling, obviously, of Twilight Zone fame, famous for these super dark endings. Um, you know, uh, Chris Hardwick has that bit where every twilight zone episode should end with rod serling coming out and saying nice try asshole because it's usually about this like really crappy guy trying to pull one over on society but he gets screwed in the end um and that's planet of the apes you know structurally it seems exactly like a twilight zone thing and twilight zone had all this social commentary and so you can really see the rod serling influence even if the uh the meat uh uh or the, the the details of the script are michael wilson's the the skeleton of everything is classic Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, he was able to, you know, make this feature-length Twilight Zone episode. I think that's why we see all these themes handled. You know, Twilight Zone was a 21-minute show. He could only handle about one theme right. in that. Um, and so here he was... It's kind of this playground for, of Rod Serling's that you get to see. Um, I want to talk a minute about uh, Dr. Zayas. What did you think about Maurice Evans as, as Dr. Zayas? He was pretty good. Um, he had some of the best dialogue that really uh, evoked the themes that they were trying to get across, I think. Um, really in your face. I can't think of any certain lines that really impacted me, but especially in the court scene, he was good. 
Yeah, I liked his performance probably the best out of all the apes for sure. Um, and I just thought, I just thought the that character was super well written, and you know they gave him a lot of dialogue, a lot, and he committed to it and did a good job with it. Um, what did you think about Charlton Heston in this movie? Kind of goofy. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, and maybe it's just because I'm not used to watching movies from that time period. But it just seemed like he overreacted on certain things and in his interactions with his crew at the beginning of the movie and then with the apes later on. Uh, I don't know if overacting is the right word or not, but, you know, definitely dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Almost melodramatic. Um, and... Yeah, like it was a stage play or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they kind of addressed that in the uh, the unconventional history lesson that we got at the beginning where um, Ben Mankiewicz from uh, TCM interviewed, quote-unquote, uh, Dr. Zayas, who was actually Dana Gould in a Dr. Zayas um, costume. And he had mentioned that Houston gets a bad rap as an actor for exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, I totally see it. I actually, I'm a big fan of Ben-Hur and a big fan of the Ten Commandments. And now I really like this movie, but I think he's far more subdued in those other two movies um, than he is in this one. I think this one he is, there are moments where he is real not good um however the editing of the movie also doesn't help that um there's one specific moment kind of towards the beginning that's so ill-advised that i can't like i can't even imagine that playing well in 1968 um where one of his cohorts plants a, a tiny american flag and hessen starts laughing but maniacally like like Joker laugh or something. <laughs> yeah, and they like pan the camera up into the sky, but the laugh keeps echoing for like another 15 seconds after the camera cuts away from him. And they're just walking across the desert and you hear this maniacal laugh in the background and you're like, what was that about? And it never really, they never really give a reason for it. It's just a weird decision. Yeah. Um, I think the editing in the movie is... It's not bad, but it's not great either. There's a few moments like that. Um, yeah, strange cuts. Yeah. From scene to scene. Yeah, the one where it cuts from the court scene into him being brought into uh, Dr. Zayas's quarters or office. I didn't realize time had passed there. Nope. <laughs> yeah, really bad about uh, uh, all the way around about showing the time had passed. You know, um, there was one scene after he he talks for the first time because Charlton Heston gets shot in the throat and he can't talk and so they think he's like the other humans that inhabit the planet even though he can talk and write um, and so he could, he's finally able his throat heals enough to for him to be able to speak again and he speaks and then it shows him back in a cage and um, someone comes and uh, 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 Zara? Is that her name? Zira. Zira. Zira comes and like talks to him again and he's like where have you been? It's been weeks and I was like it has? <laughs> Because it had been hours. Yeah, it seemed like the same day. Like, this whole movie looks like it takes place over about four days. Um, yeah, it, it didn't... It, I think the script kind of failed in that, and the editing kind of failed in, in that regard. Um, but at the same time, that's not necessarily the point. Yeah, I think they were just... Time wasn't a factor, except the numbers at the beginning in the, in the spaceship of defining how much time it passed there as yeah. far as centuries but from the day-to-day -day activities in this new ape world 
any yeah. better. Um, so having, you know, revisited it as an adult now, um, do you see the staying power that this has? Do you understand why it's stuck around as for 48 years? Yeah. I mean, it's got a lot of ideas that will always impact any society, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no matter what time period. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, uh, you know, if you guys have listened to the, the episodes recently, Corey and I watched a movie called Network from 1976. And I feel like that movie is also up there uh, as far as one of the great social commentaries. And I was actually thinking about this during Planet of the Apes. Between Network and Planet of the Apes, like, I feel like a lot of the movies I've been watching lately have been very, um, to use, like, this weird food uh, analogy, very nourishing for me. Like, it's just been... You know, there's been a lot of deeper things to think about, mm-hmm. uh, which means I'm kind of exhausted <laughs> um, from the stuff I've been watching. So maybe I need to dial it back a little bit. But I think that uh, having watched both of those movies in close succession, you kind of see why they are still around. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the makeup is, still looks really good. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't really figure out how they did, did the makeup because the faces were really... Exp- uh, um, Oh, gosh, what's the word? Not expressionistic, but, like, expressive. Yeah. Like, they, they were able to get a lot of uh, yeah. emotions it, across. It was a combination of prosthetics and just makeup. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, the nose and mouth area was just a prosthetic, and then the around the eyes and the hair was just a makeup application of some sort. Yeah, and I think that's the, the big thing. Rather than making it a full mask and just doing, like the, like you said, the mouth and nose yeah. prosthetic and then making the makeup around the eyes, you're able to get a much more natural reaction out of the actors because acting a lot of the times is in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And so in order to so to have those eyes kind of front and center um, meshing with the, uh, the prosthetic, you really get, uh, you're able to get these uh, expressions across that you probably wouldn't if it was a full yeah. mask. And I don't know if it's because the, the movie's iconic or if it's actually just a testament of the makeup, but it didn't distract me from the movie. Oh, not at all. For them as characters. No, not at all. I bought into it immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, and contrasting it with the, the mocap work that they do now... I understand, you know, that mocap work is some of the best ever, mm-hmm. and they are also hyper-realistic and hyper-expressive, um, and I think that, that it just shows the painstaking amount of work that went into updating the series with CGI to not make it suck. Because yeah. uh, there's so much, there's so much in the the makeup in the originals that that really lends itself to getting these ideas across. That in order to make it all CGI, they had to do their work, yeah. and so I, th- it really made me appreciate these new ones even more because it means you know they they it's clearly from people who love this franchise of movies and people who wanted to do it justice, and they went the extra mile to make sure the mocap was like the highest quality it could be. Yeah. So what do you think about the contrast of the new Planet of the Apes series' plot lines compared to the original? Because the new ones are almost like a... They kind of tell the story of how the apes became the apes. Yeah. And the old one is just they're existing and humans are... are, What's the word? Um... Well, animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think it's interesting. Uh, they are, you know, very much prequels. But it, it, we did a little bit of reading in the theater about 
the rest of the series. And it seems like even the later two movies were kind of similar to the first two of these reboots, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of getting to the point where the the monkeys took over and the apes, you know, came into power. And so I think really what what the filmmakers with these first two, these new two have done is they saw those last two uh, of the originals saw that they were kind of goofy but also recognize that there's a really really good idea in there i think both of those movies sound really good on paper and it makes sense why you would go that direction with it but they were probably pretty goofy especially because they turned these things around uh one year after another they made four of them in four years which is insane to me uh insane (laughs) to my 2016 like brain and so I think they recognize the inherent like, oh, that's a really cool idea. If someone did that right, we could have like a really good movie. And so they did that. And I think, I don't know, I really, really like those movies. So Well, I really appreciate in Rise the, the contrast of them pulling from the original movie of, of uh, Taylor being in the cage mm-hmm. and then doing all kinds of behavioral experiments and treating him as a savage and then it, I mean they did that in Rise with Caesar yeah um, so I just I didn't never made that parallel before between the movies because I had not really seen them back to back yeah yeah they do a couple things like that like they show um, Caesar playing with a toy airplane mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know Taylor in this has the paper airplane that he throws around and blows that uh, Cornelius's mind um, you know and then also they, there's a scene with Caesar playing with the Statue of Liberty toy, um, foreshadowing, you know, Taylor's eventual conclusion. But yeah, it, I, I think that these, I think that it's, you know, outside of the obvious updated look of these movies, I think they're fairly seamless as far as, um, as far as staying true to the nature of the franchise. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. You know, I think much more so than Star Trek has done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think. I think that makes, you know, as long as they keep making these movies this quality, I think th- this franchise might be one of the best cases for uh, reboots out there. You know, yeah. of like, well, we can do something with this. You just have to put in the time and the work and not just be after people's pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're getting uh, War for the Planet of the Apes next month, or next month, next year. And I'm super excited about it and especially after watching this i kind of just want to go back and watch rise and dawn um you know i think i think that this franchise can be is enduring but i don't think that the fans are particularly vocal about it and i kind of get it it's like it's more of like the thinking man's franchise yeah a little bit in 2016, a lot of the subjects are really touchy or, or volatile mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. but you can definitely see it in in uh, the media and politics going on right now, uh, in America, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And it just it's 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 a more introspective type of franchise. There's much more, um, you know, uh, depth as far as social commentary goes right. than you know I, one of my favorites of all time, like a Star Wars or especially an Indiana Jones. You know, which are great. I love those. Like those are probably my two favorite franchises of all time. But you know, there's not a ton of uh, comment on classism and <laughs> in, in Indiana Jones unless you read too far into it. Um, but you know, I, I think that that as long as they keep them this quality, they can keep making these for a while. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hope they do because 
Yeah, I... Uh, and I think it's good they're giving themselves a little bit more time between movies. Yes! Yeah, definitely. Um, to kind of wrap it up, uh, my mom lived in Oakland while they were filming the Planet of the Apes TV show, and uh, she saw one of the apes at the airport <laughs> just hanging out in an ape makeup. Because those things were ridiculous. They took probably four to six hours just to get them on. Yeah. They didn't want to take them off unless they were done for the day. Yeah, absolutely. And so she said, yeah, she just saw him like hanging out at the airport, like waiting for someone, I guess, which I bet was hilarious to just be like, mm, was that a Planet of the Apes monkey? <laughs> Um, yeah, do you have any, any other thoughts on Planet yeah, of the Apes? Yeah, just, just before we go, I was curious what you thought of the more technical side of the filming in the movie. You know, soundtrack. Oh! Very jarring for me. Um, very uh, harsh on the ears. I yeah. Think. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, but also, I liked it a lot. <laughs> I don't know. It was... It really worked with the movie. Like, I would never just put that on. Yeah. Like, I would never just be like, mm, time to drive to work to the Planet of the Apes soundtrack. But I, I feel like there was, um, there's such a, um, you know, because the, the story's told from Taylor's perspective and there's such um, mystery and everything so different and foreign and alien to him that the soundtrack kind of backs that up. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it works in the context of the movie. But yeah, I would never, like, own that. <laughs> Um, but I, I liked it. It reminded me kind of uh, kind of like a Johnny Greenwood uh, soundtrack, the guy who does the Paul Thomas, like he did There Will Be Blood and The Master, I think. And it was, I was like, oh, that's where those soundtracks came from <laughs> as soon as this one started. I also really liked, at the beginning of the movie, the opening credits that kind of showed time passing through deep deep space and then yeah. kind of like it starts with it starts right out of the gate of Charlton Heston kind of narrating how long they've been in Just space setting up the story yeah basically. and then going into hypersleep and then while they're in hypersleep we get the opening credits and I thought that was a really cool way to show the passage of time mm -hmm. and their travel through deep space um, so I think I liked that I liked a lot of the camera work in some of the the longer dialogue scenes yeah. um there were really cool moments where he would put the camera specifically to divide the characters into sides mm -hmm. and i loved every time that happened uh that kind of crap works like gangbusters for me and so you know there's a scene when he's on trial when taylor's on trial where they, it kind of pulls back and there's this pillar in the middle of the room and you see all the people persecuting him on one side and then Zira and Cornelius and Taylor on the other. Yeah, the defense on the other. Yeah, and that's just solid visual storytelling. And then they flip it at the end of the movie with uh, just Zayas on one side and Cornelius and Zira and Taylor and Nova and Logan, Lucius? Lucius. Lucius on the other side, you know, and it's still that same thing, but it's through almost like a pier um, or like a rock formation. There's mm -hmm. a rock dividing it. So I, I really liked that. Um, There's a lot of panning shots. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of zooming shots. The zooming shots didn't work as well for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the panning shots did. Giving it, I mean, some, some scenes lasted maybe a little bit too long. A little bit too drawn out for me. Mm. As far as, you know, they're, they left the camp and they're just walking or... Uh, riding on a horse and the camera's just following them for 30 extra seconds yeah <laughs> it's like okay we get it they left yeah i feel like some of that was like 
well, it worked in Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. but this isn't Lawrence of Arabia. Um, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, overall, it was it was fine. Um, there's a couple, like, really brilliant moments. Did it, did it feel more 70s, like I said, or was it definitely a 60s movie, as technically speaking? It's weird because it kind of looked more like a 70s movie to me, but it felt in its pacing like a 60s movie, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, like I very much felt like some of the stuff I, I was getting a little restless, but not, I mean, I did, I, I didn't not like the movie. I was just like, oh man, old movie. <laughs> um, so I think it was, it was, I mean, understandably it's right at the end of the sixties. I think it was, you could definitely see where film was heading, right. but also where it was at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That's just how it was. But, I mean, I, I still really liked the movie, yeah. um, and I would definitely see it again. I thought the set design was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like it was maybe a lower-budget movie, but I'm not really sure for the late 60s. But they definitely spent their time creating a lot of different rooms and different sets for Ape City. Yeah. You, I, it didn't look like they just dressed it uh, the room differently to make it look like a different room. It was definitely <laughs> a different room. Yeah, and there's some, like, 60s, like, I mean, but even the James Bond movies did this. There's some, like, day-for-night shooting where, like, they clearly just put a filter over it, and they were like, it's nighttime! Yeah. Don't mind the sun! Um, and stuff like that. And, like, the, 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 the rocket crashing into the Earth, the budget really shows, because it's just, like, a helicopter shot that they just <laughs> moved the camera all crazy during. You don't actually see the rocket crash into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know... Contrast that with something like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is this huge... I've never seen it, but it's, you know, got these huge space shots and, like, all kinds of spaceships doing stuff. Right. But it had a bigger budget because it had bigger names attached to it. And, you know, it wasn't quite the risk that this movie was. You know, there's some big risks in this movie. I think even for 1968, they make their main, like, their protagonist mute for like a third of the movie after he's been talking he's been talking and then he's mute for a really long time and then he talks again which i thought was an incredibly smart idea for the story oh yeah yeah talk about like efficiency and script yeah for that yeah it was because the the humans in in this movie don't talk and so he's the only one who could but he gets shot in the throat and can't talk so to to handicap him like that makes him, in their eyes, know uh, on the same level as the other humans, even though he's, his intelligence is much more advanced. Mm-hmm. And to to have... Like, it just... It was a very organic reason to sideline him like that. Rather than... You know, I feel like a lot of screenplays nowadays will go out of their way to make stuff like that happen. I felt like, oh, yeah. Like, it just happened. You know, um, but I feel like no movie would let you be like, okay, let's have him start talking and then make him stop talking for like 40 minutes, maybe, and then have him talk for the rest <laughs> of the movie. Um, you know, and the movie itself is kind of a bummer outside of just the 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 the, the Statue of Liberty reveal. Dr. Zayas wins in the end. You know, he is he's successful in his effort for covering up scientific discovery in the preservation of of their society basically yeah but like a really like weird view of how he's preserving their society he's hindering potential progress and potential you know he's hindering this archaeological expedition that could potentially lead them on a path that would that they could learn from to not make the same mistakes that humanity made before they were before the apes were there um, in the name of the lawgiver. 
And so, you know, it, and that's just how the movie ends is with that. And I was like, yeah, that's who, man, that really sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I liked it quite a bit. Um, anything else? Uh, no, just before we leave, how would you recommend people to watch this? Mm. Should they watch it before or after Rise of the Planet of the Apes? If they haven't seen Rise? Um, That's a good question. How should someone go in expecting to, to watch this movie in 2016? And, and actually, you know, enjoy it for what it is? Um, I think it kind of, I think it's almost like a case-by-case basis. I think that's one of the good things about this this franchise, you know, I wouldn't say go see Dawn of the Planet of the Apes first. You got to see Rise of the Planet of the Apes before you see Dawn of the Planet right. of the Apes. And you know, it, chronologically speaking, like strictly timeline of the story, it goes Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, of the ones that are out now, Rise, Dawn, and then Normal Planet of the Apes. Um, so I think, and then obviously Planet of the Apes came out well before Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and um. I don't think there's a bad starting point between Rise and Planet. Um, you know, part of it being that the set of characters is so wildly different. You know, you're dealing with Caesar and Koba uh, mm-hmm. in in the Rise and the Dawn, and they're the you know the the ancestors of Zaius and Cornelius and right. Zira. So I think um, I think it kind of doesn't matter really. I don't know. Do you? What do you think? No, I don't think it matters either. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're just interested, just pick either Rise or Planet and and watch it. Um and I think you'll be you'll be you'll be satisfied either way. I think I think this I think this is one of the most quietly enduring franchises that's out there. Um and I like that. Yeah. Yep. Um yeah, so that's it. Happy birthday, Robert. Thank you. And we'll be back uh to your regularly scheduled program soon. <laughs>